evangelism God's way. Um, that's what I want to talk to you about. Growing up, evangelism was find anybody you can, anywhere, by whatever means necessary, convince them, argue with them, appeal to them, and try to bring them to the Lord. And I'd like to say I still believe that in a way, um, but as I have grown up, done a whole lot of evangelism, and seen the fruits of it, and seen the some of the nuances of it, I think I may have come to a different way of thinking about it. Some people might even call this the Reformed perspective or the Calvinist perspective on evangelism. First off, if we truly believe that God is sovereign over all things, the weather, who sets up kings, who takes kings down, uh, all that stuff, then it makes a lot of sense that we believe that God is sovereign over salvation. And that that doctrine is called election. And uh, there's a whole lot to it, obviously. Uh, But basically, in its most simple form, God chooses people for salvation. The scripture is not silent on this issue. It tells us over and over, but I think at least uh, I really didn't want to hear that uh, when I was younger. I didn't understand it. But when the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We want to hear everything but that salvation isn't something we decide we want and we go get it. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that we can't convince people or we can't sell people. And we want to hear that if we do it right, if we say it right, if we work hard enough at it, then we will make converts. But the Bible really doesn't support anything remotely like that. In fact, the Bible says that people, all of us, We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And being dead is not being almost dead or really weak or, uh, you know, we have just a little bit of spark and if someone would blow on it. Dead is dead. So if people are dead in their trespasses and sins, uh, if their hearts are uh, needing to be change from being hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Uh, Once we can understand this, evangelism can be so much more exciting. The other way, it can be extremely frustrating. I have been somewhat of a sales guy my whole life, and one of the sales techniques that you are taught is It's okay when people tell you no. In fact, the more times they tell you no and you keep asking, the better the sales guy you are. In fact, we, when I was in kind of in high level sales, the the thing was, is all right, how many times did they tell you no? You know, you initially ask for them to purchase something 
they say no, but people hate to say no. And so if you just keep up and you're nice enough and to them, eventually they, you just wear them down and they just can't say no to you one more time without basically throwing you out. So they end up buying your product, whether they really want to or not, because they just can't bear to say no to you anymore. Now, this may work good for selling, you know, water purification systems, and it may be good for uh, making money, but it's certainly not good for making disciples in the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about this quite a lot, and when he sent out his disciples, uh, he handicapped them, you could say, in some pretty unusual ways to help them understand that this work was not a work of the flesh. James tells us that the Father of lights is the one who begets us of his own will. Uh, John chapter 1 says, you know, that that men are... Uh, are saved not by the will of flesh, not by the will of man, but by God. So it could get in your mind, why waste your time? I mean, God's going to save who he's going to save, and and uh, he's not going to save who he's not going to save, and so what does it have to do with me? Well, what it has to do with you is the Bible says, in addition to the things that it says that about men being dead in their trespasses and sins, in addition to the fact that uh, salvation is a free gift. It also tells us that that salvation comes by faith and that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you might even think that sounds contradictory, but it's not contradictory. God allows us, in the same way that He allows us to be saved according to His mercy, He allows us to participate in the salvation of others through his mercy. He doesn't need us, but according to his word, that's how he has made it happen. He has ordained that by the foolishness of preaching that men should be saved. And so the foolishness of preaching is done by people like you and me, not super wise guys who can uh, beat any argument. And I'm, I'm not against learning arguments that you know, that the idea of evolution is silly or, you know, the existence of God can, through uh, man's reason, you can reason away the insanity that this is all just an accident. I'm not against all that, but I'm telling you that even though we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, we are not going to save people by checkmating them logically out of their foolish ideas. You know, they believe that somehow accidentally, you know, uh, lightning struck a pool of water and, you know, the first single-celled organism was made. Now, as foolish as we understand that that is, because we don't just worship God with our hearts, uh, we worship with our minds... And so our minds get engaged, and, and if you just look at it, the chances of that are, there aren't really, there's no chance of that. And then the fact that the order of the universe and the beauty of it all, of course. But we can get so caught up in trying to get good answers for people 
that we forget what the Bible actually teaches about this. Jesus said something over and over and over. I, when I was young, I always thought was kind of like a, a way of getting people to sort of listen up. You know, like you could just be saying, listen up, listen up. Uh, but that's not what it is. It, it's Jesus, when he says things, we should listen to the words that he says exactly. And the words that he used exactly are, he that hath an ear, let him hear, right? He would say this quite a lot. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Uh, even in the book of Revelation, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He would talk about people. He would say, they don't have ears to hear and they don't have eyes to see. And so he did some things that are very confusing if you have this other mindset about being able to convince people or checkmate people or uh, make people become saved, you will be very, very uh, confused if you read the parables of Christ and how he sent out his disciples uh, and when he talks about our work in the harvest, these things will be very, very confusing. First off, when Jesus sent out his disciples to spread the news of the kingdom of God, he told them they weren't allowed to take extra shoes. He told them they weren't allowed to take a Bible. He told them that, that they were not allowed to, to prepare what they were going to say before they were going to say it. And if, he, if people came up to other people and began to share this and they weren't interested, they should leave. And they should dust off the, the, the dust off of their sandals. Now, you know, maybe you're just thinking that Jesus means something that he's not saying, but if you listen to what he is saying, he literally told them to go to places. And, and here's, what, here's what came in my mind. I mean, imagine if one of the these disciples came to my house and, you know, I had a pot that was boiling over or I was in the middle of something, or there was a death in my family, or whatever. So, so because this is what was going on in these people's lives, they weren't worthy of the gospel because they didn't respond to a stranger at their door. And I thought this is this sounds strange and arbitrary and and mean and and really uncalled for. And it certainly doesn't sound like he's trying very hard to reach people. He should you know, come back later, uh, appeal to them, see what's going on in their lives before, you know, but that's not what he said to do. So, so this is one of the first things that got in my head that I thought, all right, so does God not care? Um, you know, does he not care about what's going on in people's lives? Does he just want people to, um, just go to the easy people? I, I, I really, honestly, logically, it did not make any sense to me whatsoever. And that was, that was one of the first things that didn't make sense to me. Um, and then there was another example where Jesus told him, he says, and when you go, do not go from house to house. Don't go door to door. Now in the early part of my, uh, evangelistic efforts, in fact, I was a part of this thing where we went to, not only did we go to door to door, we got a map out and we went to every single door in whatever city we went to. We went to 
in in the time that I did it, we went to four or five cities of probably 20, 30,000 people. I mean, they weren't really tiny cities. And we mapped out, and we had a team of people we were called a strike force. Uh, Andrea, my wife, also was on these, and we it was something we did together when we were teenagers. And we would knock on every single door. We'd map it out. We'd go up every street, and we would begin to try to talk to these people about the Lord. So I definitely have done some door knocking. And early on when I started uh, Foundation Church, we did the same thing. We went up and down the streets, and we knocked on every single door. Well, so one day I was reading the scripture, and the scripture said not to do that. Well, this was kind of hard for me because I was, you know, I had thought this would be a great idea. Go talk to everybody and get to know them over time and sort of work on them a little bit and get to know them and let them know you care about them. And I had this plan, and this is a good plan for sales. It's a good plan for promotion, but it's not a good plan for the kingdom of God. And so I began to look into the scriptures even more. And as I began to look at the scriptures, what I found really helped lead me to understanding God's sovereignty when it comes to evangelism and reaching the lost. Now, the very next thing that came to my mind when I was trying to solve this problem, because, you know, when you get into Scripture and your doctrine turns Jesus into somebody who's mean and arbitrary, um, mentally you love God and you know He's good and you know that there's something either wrong with your doctrine or something wrong with God, and of course it's going to be your doctrine. So... I realized that my doctrine was faulty, and so I was praying to the Lord to help me understand this better. And so the next thing that came to mind in this, and I don't know exactly, you know, exactly how it all happened, but what happened next was was the parable of the sower. And so I'm trying to go through the parable of the sower. And when I'm going through the parable of the sower. I'm very, very confused when I look at the details of it. You know, teaching through the scripture expositionally and and going verse by verse kind of forces you to deal with things that you wouldn't deal with. So here I am, I'm looking at the scriptures on the parable of the sower. And very little has to do with the sower in the parable of the sower. I, I would actually, if I were going to name it, I might call it the parable of the ground. Because for me... The whole thing really depended on the ground. So the sower sows and, you know, the growth of what happens depends on the ground. Now, I know that the Word of God isn't lacking and we know that the seed of the Word of God, you know, it's God's incorruptible seed. His Word doesn't return void. It's faith you know, in hearing his word that um, hear, the faith that comes from hearing his word that brings saving faith and so I'm really confused now because I'm hearing the parable of the sower and it sounds like that really the growth of the seed, even the incorruptible seed of the word of God, that the growth of that is dependent upon the condition of the ground so now I'm just my head is sort of spinning and I'm just thinking to myself, how can this be? And so, you know, it's on stony ground or it's on, you know, and it talks about 
thorny ground and you know it takes root for a while but then the cares of this life and, I, and I'm, I, as I'm as I'm thinking about all of these things I'm just perplexed by this but finally I come to understand that unless God goes before and prepares the ground unless a work happens in the heart of a man he cannot receive the gospel he's dead dead people can't do some good dead people can do no good they can do nothing they can make no efforts they can't desire to be saved and so god has to come into a man he has to touch him he has to he has to give him ears to hear and eyes to see and when he does that then it prepares him for the word of god which brings faith so, anyhow, so so these things all together were just swirling and whirling around in my mind, and, and I had been just selling and selling and selling and selling my whole life, and really, honestly, it's a very exhausting thing, uh, and I won't get into the whole thing, because once you sell them in this, you got to keep them sold, and so you're selling them and keeping them sold. It's like a deal you can never close, and the frustration of that of always having to keep selling and selling and selling. Honestly, it makes all the sense in the world when you come to understand Christ and you come to understand the scriptures in uh, a reformed or Calvinistic perspective that that takes into account the truth of God's word that the salvation is a gift from God. So if they have it, they have it. If they don't, they don't. And so no matter how hard you sell, no matter how many things you say to them, no matter how hard you try to keep them, they will always just keep going back and going back and going back. Jesus uh, quoted the proverb of the dog returns to his vomit. And, you know, my buddy Kyle Nickerson came to preach at our church years ago and he preached a sermon. He said, he said, when does a dog stop doing the things that a dog does? You know, they go to the bathroom on the fire hydrants and you know they go around doing dog kind of things they're eating dead animals off the road and you know the kind of gross things a dog do so when does a dog stop doing that and you know i was waiting for some great clever answer but the answer is is when he's not a dog (laughs) when a dog is not a dog he stops doing dog type things and that's the way it is with a man who uh, has been tra- transformed by the power of the Spirit. So now I have come to understand this. Um, now, it doesn't make me go less. It makes me go more. But when I go, the rejection doesn't bother me. When I go, the pressure isn't on me. When I go, I'm not trying to sell them on anything. What I'm doing is I'm looking for people who God has already visited and has prepared their hearts to hear the gospel. If you go about evangelism that way, I guarantee you that when you hear the scripture, take my yoke upon you, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you shall find rest to your soul. If you have worn yourself out trying to save people, trying to evangelize people, if you have run yourself ragged as I have in my life, Uh, you're going to find rest. Now, rest not as in don't do anything. Rest as in go out there, meet people, talk to those people, and there are ways of finding out if God has been there or not. 
you know? So one of the things that, that came to my mind along this is that my sheep, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So it's as simple as that. So when we speak the word of God, there are people who you speak the word of God to and immediately their ears perk up. Immediately they start saying, could you tell me more? When you, I, you know, you could call it, when you probe people and you talk to them, confront them with God's word. Don't be afraid to challenge them to do what God's word says. Don't be afraid to quote the scripture. In fact, you should be afraid if you're evangelizing to do anything but that. Because the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. And my voice, you know, Christ's voice isn't your voice. It's not what you find interesting or appealing or convincing, but it's what his word says. So stick to God's word when you are reaching out and speak it. And I have found that when I speak God's word to people who God has already been there, has already changed their hearts, if they haven't heard it from anybody, they will be attracted to you and you won't be able to run them off. They will keep coming to you because they've been searching for food everywhere and they can't find it. They've been lost like sheep having no shepherd. They've been out there praying to God for you to come. And here you are, the flesh and blood, you know, reality in their life of Jesus Christ. And you are speaking the word of God. You are speaking his words. If you recall, when Jesus was here, he kept always saying, the words that I speak are not my own, but him that sent me. He was really giving us a great pattern. When we come to people, we're not to give them our words, our good advice, our good counsel. We're not to give them our great arguments for serving him. We are to um, basically just speak God's word. I meet people and they complain about something or I meet people and they make some comment to me or I'm getting to know them. I, I talk to them. I speak God's word. I'll say things to them. I met a lady in Aldi uh, the other day. She was standing behind me and she had uh, one item and I had, you know, I've got eight kids and, a, you know, when I go to Aldi, it's very serious. So I had these two carts filled all the way to the top. And even though my interaction with her was minuscule, it was a probe. You know, there she was. I'm like, ma'am, go ahead. I said, I have all these things. Go ahead and go. Now, loving her and loving heathens or loving anybody, this love is not a bad idea. It's a great way to live. But but what it did was is she said, wow. She said, thank you so much. She said, you didn't have to do that. That was so kind. And so I responded back to her. You know, doesn't it say we should do unto others uh, as we would have them do unto us? And her eyes just lit up right in that moment. And she says, it sure does. And I didn't feel the pressure of chasing her out into the parking lot and having a big, long conversation for her. She must have already been a believer or whatever. I'm not exactly sure. But then she she went through and she's like, she stopped afterwards and she thanked me. And, and she realized that I was a Christian man and that I love the things of God, and that my kindness to her was not really any human kindness of mine, but it was really obedience to the scripture. And of course, well, I enjoy it. I mean, there's nothing more enjoyable than obeying God's word when you're his child. 
And so, it, well, you know, what was it to me anyway? She had one item, big deal. But what I'm saying is, is every conversation that we have is an opportunity for us to speak God's word to people and to find out where they stand. And I have found many lost souls looking for someone to love them, looking for someone to speak God's word. They are, they're out there and they're listening. They're like, you know, kind of like that little kid's book. Are you my mama? Are you my mama? You know, the little bird goes to all the different animals. Are you my mama? And none of them are like, no, no, no. But when he meets his mama, he knows who his mama is. And when people meet you, if you are speaking God's word, they will hear the voice of the father speaking to them. So don't stress out about it. You know, you don't have to have some great plan. In fact, having no plan, I think, is the best plan. Of course, having your plan be, which I guess is a plan, so I guess I'm kind of destroying my own logic here. Have your plan be to uh, speak God's word, to offer that to them, and see if God's already been there. And if he has, keep talking. You know, that's the way Jesus put it. He said, if you go to a house and they receive you, go in, eat what they have to serve you, drink what they they give you, and stay there and teach them everything. I have gone to people's homes and I've just taught Bible study after Bible study and they just loved it, loved it, loved it. They kept opening their home and they're like, tell me more, tell me more. You talk about a joyful way to spend your life evangelizing people when they are hungry. I joke people, I said, I'm like... Uh, a big old Italian woman who loves to cook and loves to see people hungry and loves to see them eating. That's what kind of evangelist I am, honestly. I love when I meet people, you know, I guess if you wanted to deceive me and you wanted to monopolize all my time, all you'd have to do is come up to me and I'd begin talking to you and you'd be like, tell me more. That's, uh, it'd be hard for me to be quiet. It'd be hard for me to keep, quit dishing out food. Uh, I love the Word of God. If you love the Word of God and know the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God, this is a great reason to study it. It's a great reason to memorize it, besides the fact that we want to obey it and, and we want to you know, hide God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. Knowing the Word so that we can be those that feed the hungry, so that we can be those that speak the words of our Father in Heaven. Know the Word, love the Word, speak the Word. And you will make disciples. And uh, you'll be that fruitful vine that you want to be. And uh, that's really the idea.